Thank you to Paul Harmon, who stood in front of us and spoke the truth with love. This is what the friends of Jesus do. It's to speak the truth with love. Truth comes from the Anglo-Saxon word troth, from which we get the word betrothed. When we speak the truth to each other, we're linked to each other. We give our word and we keep it. Our word spoken in prayer for Owen and his family. The word spoken in consolation and love to his friends who are here taking care of our children. And they're all our children. That's the truth. There are no words to take away grief. All one can do is say, I'm sorry, and stand and pray. So Pete told me about this uh, just a little bit ago, and so I've changed my presentation this morning a little bit and have a scripture reading for us that fits so well with the beautiful songs that were sung for us today with love and praise. From Luke's Gospel, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified, thought they were seeing a ghost. He said, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, walleye, that had been caught in the lake out here. And they added a little butter and basil, my religious imagination. And he ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said, thus it was written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that the repentance, forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised to stay here in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. Isn't it amazing that the Lord of the universe has the most amazing miracle in the history of all of creation, of all of humanity, where he raises his son from the dead after three days? A fully resurrected body that still bears the wounds of death. Even in resurrection, 
It has witnessed to us that there is pain and suffering. The Lord of the universe could have given Jesus a perfect body, no blemishes, no stain of, of, of blood, no recollection of the torture they had gone through. But the Lord of the universe says that my love embraces and smothers suffering with love. Love without suffering is sentimental. Suffering without love is intolerable. Suffering and love are redemptive. We all know this because we've all experienced this. We are all here today because there are people who have suffered and loved us for a lifetime. And we must take what we've been given as that source of redemption and strength and share it with our young people who haven't experienced this yet, who don't know what to do with it, we must witness with this kind of hope to other people who are in despair. We are witnesses to these things. And oftentimes we say, well, how can we do this? Well, we have been doing it. We have been sitting down for dinner and sharing our meals with each other. Wonderful meals where everybody has sat at the table. We are in the company of each other. Company comes from two Latin words, cumpanos, people that we break bread with. And what's happened as we sat down and had dinner with each other and talked with each other about our children and our lives? Have we not told the stories of love and redemption in our own lives? Have we not told the stories of the hopes and the fears that we hold for our own children? Have we not been strengthened by the faith of each other? Have we not been blessed and christened by each other's tears? God so loved the world that God is sending us. God sent us Owen. And now God is sending us to comfort all those who Owen loved and served. Good work, hard work, holy work, our work. Together as a community. One Christian is not a Christian. We are the people of God. We are the body of Christ. And that's why we hurt. Priscilla and I didn't know Owen. But when Paul spoke the truth with love, we cried. Because being part of the body of Christ 
When one body the part, one body, one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. When one part of the body succeeds, we all succeed. The songs today were, were powerful. And the words, Father who loves us, and we live in that love, we're connected to each other. And then you, you sang powerfully about the hurricane. Hurricane. Here's a marvelous book. Thank you for being late. It's written by one of your own Minnesotans, Thomas Friedman. Thomas Friedman is a reporter for the New York Times, and he meets people for breakfast in order to interview them, and then he begins to collect his, his data, and then from his data he does an analysis, and from his analysis he writes his columns and his books. And what he's noticed over the last 15 years is that people are showing up 10 or 15 minutes late for breakfast. First started off, and then people come and say, oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the traffic this morning. Oh, the traffic. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, the kid. I just couldn't get the kids ready. It was just a mess. And, and he'd sit there, and he just smiles and says, thank you for being late. People look up and say, thank you for being late. Thank you for being late. You just gave me 15 minutes for contemplation and reflection that I wasn't going to have today. And he thought, if I have no time for contemplation and reflection, I wonder how much time other people have for contemplation and reflection. And as he found out, not much. And as we talked about the last couple of days, I think that what I've heard from people is that if I didn't have a lock in my bathroom, I would have no time for contemplation. Why is it that we refuse to carpool? Because our cars are some of the last places that we have just to be alone. I call cars moving monastic cells. <laughs> and he began to pay, pay attention. Well, what, what's taking place? Why is it that we have so little time just to be? And he began to do research. And he says three things are taking place, particularly in the last 10 years, of accelerated change in which we cannot, we, we cannot keep up. And that's why we kind of want to rush by everything. We don't want to slow down. I want to just tell you this right now. We don't allow enough time for grief. Even in our workplaces, how many days off to get for funeral leave? Two or three days, and then you have to be back at work after your heart has been crushed and broken? On to the next thing? What's taking place? One, Technology. Technology is not doubling every 24 months, it's doubling every 18 months. Computers are now programming computers. I told you I'm working with a farm community right now. Cows are wearing Fitbits. <laughs> I know, this is kind of amazing. Why are they measuring the steps of cows? Because when cows have more steps, that means they're ovulating and ready for insemination. There's an image for you early in the morning. No kidding, every cow has a computer chip in his ear. When it walks up to get fed, the, the, the feed reads, reads the chip in the ear and gives the cow as much feed as it needs. I was speaking to 1,800 farmers, and we had our picture taken by a drone. 
It's just kind of amazing. For younger people, it's not if you're going to have a driverless car, it's when you're going to have a driverless car. Is that not true? It's just amazing. The technology, you can't keep up with it. Two, globalization. Who would ever thought that we'd be paying attention to the elections in France? Whoever thought, moving into your adult life, that you'd be worried about North Korea? Go back to any one of your healthcare facilities and are the pictures of the doctors there only from Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin? People from all over the world who come to heal us? And those of you who are working in business, you know that, that global markets affect your price and your product each and every day. Globalization is changing so fast. And third, he says, what's changing so fast is climate change. He said, this is not a political debate. Mother Nature pays attention to three laws, chemistry, biology, and physics. And then he says this, how do you live with this enormous change? And this, pays, this now connects with what you had to sing for us today so beautifully. We all must learn to live in the eye of the hurricane. What's in the eye of the hurricane? Quiet, still, serenity, peace. Death, pain, suffering create chaos in our lives. How do we capture that peace? So Jesus, the Lord of the universe, who has been tortured and killed, humiliated and buried, rises from the dead, and the first thing he says to his friends is, peace be with you. My peace I give to you. Now, Thomas Friedman writes this. How do you live in the eye of the hurricane? And friends, you know how to do it better than any group of people I know. The closest analog for the eye of the hurricane that I can think of is a healthy community. When people feel embedded in a community, they feel protected, respected, and connected. And that feeling is more important than ever because when people feel protected, respected, and connected in a healthy community, it generates enormous trust. And when people trust each other, they can be much more adaptable and open to all forms of pluralism. When people trust each other, they think long term. When there's trust in the room, people are inclined to collaborate and experiment, to open themselves up to others, to new ideas and novel approaches, and to extending the golden rule. They also don't waste energy investigating every mistake. They feel free to fail and try again and fail again and try again. Do we not all feel in this community protected, respected, and connected? 
We've only been here less than 48 hours. Have you seen that in your children? Protected, respected, connected? A place where people's birthdays are celebrated. Engagements are announced. Love is shared. And grief is smothered with love. Now, how do you build that kind of community? I've got another little piece that I'm going to read to you that I think is just wonderful. Um, do you realize he's from St. Louis Park, Thomas Friedman? Uh, here's, here's, a, here's an interesting piece of Minnesota history. In 1948, after the Second World War, after the Holocaust, Jewish people in Minneapolis had no place to live other than northeast Minneapolis. They wanted to move out of northeast Minneapolis, but a realtor would not show them another piece of property in all the Twin Cities area until a Jewish developer developed St. Louis Park, in which the Jewish community moved to St. Louis Park. In 1948, the Democratic National Convention, Hubert Humphrey from Minnesota stood up and spoke about civil rights for the Jewish people. In 1968, Hubert Humphrey stood up and spoke about civil rights for the African-American community. That was the community that Friedman came out of. So he writes about, about you know, hope, always looking for Minnesota. You are so good, but you're so humble you would never admit to it. I always loved your favorite, your favorite son, Garrison Keeler, when he spoke about Norwegian bachelor farmers. And he said... Uh, Norwegian bachelor farmer who is an extrovert, he looks at your shoes when he talks. <laughs> he said, the best explanation I can hear for the emotional effect that trust has on a person or a community comes from the U.S. Surgeon General, who offered a beautiful analogy between the way trust breathes life into a community and the way that hope, that that our bodies pump oxygen into the heart. When the heart pumps in two cycles, the systole when it contracts and the distole when it relaxes. And one of the things we often think of is that contraction is the most important phase because that's what gets the blood pushed out everywhere around our body. But you realize when you study medicine that it's in the distole. When the heart relaxes, that the coronary blood vessels fill and supply the heart muscle with the life-saving, sustaining oxygen it needs. So without distole, there can be no systole. Without relaxation, there can be no contraction. In human relations, trust creates distole. It's only when people relax their hearts and their minds that they're open to hear and engage with each other. Healthy communities create the context for that. Last year, I took my first sabbatical in 35 years at the university. It means I had a semester off to study anything I wanted to study, and I studied contemplation. And I ended up writing a paper that I presented at a, at a conference, the International Conference on Contemplative Leadership in San Diego, in which there were 1,200 people. My presentation was on the last day on a Sunday morning, and I talked about servant leadership as a contemplative practice. Well, that's not, not the big deal. But I was on a panel, 
And the second person to come up and speak was Bill Doan, who was chief engineer at Google. Two words you oftentimes put in the same sentence, isn't it, Viterbo and Google? <laughs> and, he, and he came up, and he shows a picture. And it's of a room smaller than this with people lying on the floor meditating, contemplating at Google. They have meditation rooms at Google. Many corporations now, as they're building their new office buildings, are building meditation rooms, places for people to go in and to contemplate and to meditate. The real study of mindfulness, if you will. And he says this, in one year of meditation at Google, we have increased psychological safety by 31%. We have increased civility by 28%. Why is that significant? I work with computer engineers, and if they do not feel psychologically safe, if they do not feel they're being treated with dignity and respect, they cannot be creative and innovative. Isn't that true in our own lives? You cannot really be who you are if you feel like you're being under stress and under pressure. You have to have that ability, where is it, that you begin to relax. Well, then after he presented, the head of the Emory School of Medicine stood up. I mean, the terrible Google, Emory, those are three words you put together on a regular basis. And he writes up on the board the number 365 and said, what is that? And of course, everybody in the room says, numbers of days of the year. And he said, yes, but sadly, it's the number of medical residents that have committed suicide in our country in the last year. 365 of the best and brightest of us. Young people. The enormous pressure. And that's what I immediately thought of this morning when Pete spoke about Owen. It's, we're going to get through this. Many of us have been through grief many times. But how about our young people? These thoughtful, bright young people whose souls are so sensitive. In our master's program, we have a man who's a doctor of oncology, a graduate of the Air Force Academy. We went to high school together, quite honestly. He was two years younger than myself, and now to meet him as an adult life, coming back into our program. And the reason he took our servant leadership program is he was burning out as, as a doctor. He just felt soul weary. He felt he had nothing more to give. Can you imagine sitting down as an oncologist every day and giving people this, these terrible diagnoses and then have to tell them this is what the treatment's going to entail, this is how you are going to suffer. I'm going to be here with you in that suffering, but it's going to be difficult for both of us. So he began to look at, 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 the, at the research of, of doctors and burnout. And what he found is that in a 2015 study, 54% of all doctors report feeling burnt out. 54%. And of the 54%, 17% admitted to suicidal ideation. 17% of doctors who are feeling burnt out were thinking in levels of, in terms of despair. 
And then his great observation is this. For all these years, we've been talking about patient-centered care. But the healing of a patient begins with the disposition of the healer. Friends, the comfort and compassion and the healing of our young people begins with us. We cannot heal others beyond the point of where you and I have been healed. And so last night, that's why we focused in over that we have some garbage. Get rid of the garbage so that we can taste that fresh, rushing life breath of God so we can share it with others. So Jesus comes to the disciples, a group like ourselves. In fact, I want to just tell you, we are much more talented than the group that sat in that upper room that night. Understandably this, you read the Gospels, they were not the brightest, brightest uh, crayons in the box. <laughs> they weren't the sharpest knives. The, were they? They were their fishermen, but the only time they caught fish is when Jesus, who was a carpenter, was with them. I mean, I, just, I would kind of look up there. there. There they are. But the idea is, is this. Peace be with you. Everything that I told you is, is going to work with you. Of course you're going to be afraid. Of course you're going to have doubts. But please go as witnesses to what you've experienced. That inner peace. So this is what we found out. Through meditation and contemplation, you can come to that peace. We can nurture it. So if you please put both feet flat on the ground. Allow your hands just to rest in your lap. And close your eyes. And pay attention to the mystery of your own breath. The breathing out and breathing in. And realize all we need to do is just to be. So much doing, so many tasks, so much responsibility. We are not human doings, we are human beings. Pay attention to the mystery of your own breath, the breathing out and breathing in, and realize for the next few moments all we need to do is be. The Hebrews understood that the word for breath was ruah, the spirit of God. We breathe in the spirit to send forth the word. God is as close as our next breath. 
Pay attention to the mystery of your own breath, the breathing out and breathing in, and know that all you need to do is be. Please put a quiet, serene smile on your face and pay attention to your thoughts. Like a small puppy, they'll wander off. And like a small puppy, they'll come back. Enjoy your thoughts. In your mind's eye, get a picture of somebody that you love, somebody who has loved and supported you for a lifetime. Get a picture of that person in your mind's eye. Think of that person. And in the silence of your own heart, respond with this prayer. Be safe, be blessed, be grateful, be safe, be blessed, be grateful, be safe, be blessed, be grateful. Think of another person who is near and dear to you. Get a picture of that person in your mind's eye. And as you think of that person, in the quiet of your own heart. Be safe, be blessed, be grateful. Be safe, be blessed, be grateful. Be safe, be blessed, be grateful. Think of your whole family, all those people who have loved you for a lifetime. Those who are with us now, those who are with God. A family portrait, if you will, of all those people who are present to you in their love every day. Get a picture of them in your mind's eye. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. Be safe, be blessed, be grateful. Be safe, be blessed, be grateful. Please think of all the lovely children that God has placed in our lives in this community for this week. All those children who reflect God's love and life, joy. Think of our children. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. 
please think of all our KCs, all those marvelous high school and college age people, all these lovely young adults who are present in this community as faithful servants. Think of them all. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. Please think of Owen and the Thomas family. Get a picture of them in your mind's eye. A beautiful family of faith. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. Now please get a picture of yourself in your mind's eye. You who are made in the image and likeness of God. You who are precious beyond belief. You who Jesus spoke the words to directly, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Get a picture of yourself in your mind's eye. Be safe. Be blessed. Be grateful. 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 Pay attention to the mystery of your own breath, the breathing out and breathing in, and realize for the next few moments all you need to do is just to be. You just kind of pull your chairs around in terms of groups of three or four. How are you feeling? What are you thinking? And how do you intend to bless other people today? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? How will you bless other people today? Just pull yourselves around in groups of three or four. Thank you. We were talking about how to help the Thomas family, and um, yeah, unfortunately, we've done this before. Where uh, 17 years ago, my husband died of suicide, and this Bible study has just come around me and has done it beautifully. So when you talk about the community, it's so true. You just there's strength in numbers, and not just numbers, but people and love and God and Jesus. So 
Thank you. Again, I'm forever in debt to this group, so thank you. One of the things that Darby taught me, when you don't know what to do, just look in the book. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers, and such branches are gathered and thrown into a fire. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. I am the vine, you are the branches. The deepest connection that we can ever have in our lives is to be connected to the vine, the source of all life, God, expressed in Jesus and nurtured by the Spirit. I'm invited now into communities that are having, uh, how do you bring people together, particularly in small rural communities. Urban communities, you have a little bit more resources in terms of schools and leadership and businesses, but in small communities, it's been very tough. One of the things about small communities, they're very tight-knit, which makes it then very difficult for people who are coming from the outside to get integrated into the community. So I'm going in and teaching leadership in, in these small communities, and it's just been marvelous as people get to know each other and then gather for the common good. Got involved in one community called Cashton, Wisconsin. Cashton has a as a town of about 750 people, and I came up and I talked to them about servant leadership and what we, what we could possibly do. And then I asked the other group, how often would you like to get together? Well, maybe five times. <laughs> well, what, what would be a good time to get together? Well, maybe two hours a night. Uh, uh, Tuesdays seem to be a good night, okay? What if we had a potluck supper, I said, at 5.30 and then started a meeting? That's, yeah, we could do that. I said, well, how much do you want to pay? They said, well, we're farmers, we're cheap. And I said, well, I'm Catholic. I work with cheap people all the time. He said, well, you're in trouble. He says, we're Catholic farmers. And we came together, and they met for five times, and they got to know each other. And they began to, to trust each other, and they began to pay attention to the needs of the community. And they said, you know, we need to come together more often. And so they started to have music every Tuesday night in the park. You know, families need to kind of come together, but they don't have a lot of money to go out to a movie, so they set up and they have movies once a month in a park with free popcorn. They realize that when you're a rural kid, you're working out in the fields most of the time, and you come back to school and your shoes are wet. So they raised $800 to buy new shoes for kids who work in the fields. Farm people are very proud and are very reticent to ask for help, and so they put together backpacks with 
new school clothing and just hung them on a hook in the back of the school and said to people, if you need something, just take it. The women of the community gather now every once a, once a month and they have about well, women and well-being in their families, in the community, and they're supporting, supporting each other. Now they're working collaboratively to establish a daycare in a city of 750 people, coming together for the common good. So what happened is that the neighboring town heard about this, Westby, Wisconsin, which was Norwegian Lutheran. I mean, no, this is how, how tightly communities, that religious communities were held together, so that up until World War II, you could only sell your farm to another Norwegian Lutheran. Don't worry, St. Joseph's Ridge was German Catholic, you could only sell your farm to another German Catholic. That's how people kept their cultures together. It was their church and their ethnic identity that built it. Some of us at breakfast this morning, I was talking about those Irish, uh, Irish Catholic roots. You know, there was something that was there that held us together. We have to have new ways of bringing people together. So we came together in Westby and we had the same kind of conversation. And it was at a place called Branches Winery. Two graduates of Marquette University, um, both have their MBAs, that came out to western Wisconsin and they started a winery. Because of climate change, grapes are growing very well in this part of the country again, and we're seeing wineries sprout up. So they call their winery branches. And we're talking about how difficult it was to get people from town to come out to the winery, because they're not from Westby. Well, 75 people came for this meeting to talk about servant leadership in the Westby community. And afterward, the owner of the winery came up and hugged me. Oh, thank you, you she said. Tonight... We were branches for the first time. I said, branches for the first time? Oh, don't you know? I thought you did. Our winery is called Branches. You are the vine, we are the branches. And we created this place to reach out to people where our community could gather. You are the branches. What you experience here at Summer Splash, what you spent at your winter weekends, what you have done in your Bible studies, you don't keep it to yourselves. You are witnesses to the good news wherever you go. You build up your hometowns and your communities, your workplaces and your churches because of your faith. You bless people each and every day because of who and whose you are. Thomas Friedman, in the last three paragraphs of his, of his book, writes about going home again to St. Louis Park. And he says this. On a research trip back home in the summer of 2015, I drove by our old house in St. Louis Park at 6831 West 23rd Street, where my parents first moved from northern Minneapolis in 1956. I hadn't done it for years, but decided on the spur of the moment to swing by. At one level, the neighborhood's tightly packed Rambler homes looked remarkably the same as I left for college for, for work in the 1970s. Ours was still painted a light blue, but something also struck me as different, and I couldn't put my finger on it first. My old neighborhood was totally familiar, but slightly unfamiliar. It took me a while to figure it out, and then it finally dawned on me. It was the trees. They were all small and scrawny when I was small and scrawny. Ours was a spanky new neighborhood when I grew up there, 
And now, a half century later, all the trees had grown tall and thick with long branches. And they were all full of leaves, so much that the neighborhood was considerably more shaded. The light had changed slightly and it caught my eye because it contrasted with the much brighter mental image I'd been carrying around for so long, like an old picture stuck in the back of my wallet. Those trees and I had both grown up and out from the same topsoil. And the most personal, political, and philosophical lesson I took from the journey that this book is, is more than the world demands, we need to branch out. The more we need to be anchored in a topsoil of trust that is the foundation of all healthy communities, we must be enriched by that topsoil and we much, much enrich it in turn. This prescription is easier to write than to fill, but it is the order of our day, the real uber task of our generation. It is so much easier to venture far, not just in distance, but also in terms of your willingness to experiment, take risks, and reach out to others when you know that you're still tethered to a place called home, to a real community. Minnesota and St. Louis Park together were that place for me. They were my anchor and my sail. I hope this book will inspire you to pause in stride and find yours. And don't worry if it makes you late. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in my love as my love abides in you. And I tell you these things because I want my joy to be your joy. I want the best for you, for your generation, and for generations to come. In our small groups this morning, we'd like you to talk about three questions. One, when and where do you feel most connected? When and where do you feel most disconnected? What will you do today to branch out and bless the connections in your life? When and where do you feel most connected? When and where do you feel most disconnected? What will you do today to branch out and bless the connections in your life?